This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by the new film Captain Fantastic, starring Viggo Mortensen. He raised his family off the grid until they had to go on the road. Washington Post proclaims Captain Fantastic saves the summer. It's a New York Times critic's pick. Vanity Fair calls it heartwarming and offbeat. Entertainment Weekly declares it sweet and funny. Rolling Stone says Viggo Mortensen is magnificent. And New York Post raves it's one of the year's best movies. Captain Fantastic, now playing in theaters. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And this week, we'll start out by talking about Michael Moore and then delve into what's been going on with the various political conventions and the entertainers who have been showing up in those places. Uh, we've got the Toronto lineup and the Venice lineup to talk about and what that means for the fall. And then a whole bunch of new movies that are opening this week we have to dig into. But let's rewind for a second and start with Michael Moore. Because, Anne, you're at Michael Moore's Film Festival right now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because I, I think as much as people know Michael Moore, they may not know that he actually runs this film festival. Yeah, it's, it's 12 years old, actually it turns out. And I'm in Traverse City, Michigan, and I'm in this hotel looking out over Lake Michigan. This is a vacation spot, and people come here to swim and sail and kayak and do all sorts of fun things. And he, uh, Michael Moore, has been running this festival at the beginning on a shoestring. There's a woman named Deb Lake, who's, who's the woman who, who runs it and who has basically been pushing new uh, sponsors and getting people you know they have like a lot of people it's really fun because it's um as you know eric because you do this too when you go to a local sort of film festival it's all about appealing to the crowd and michael moore is on a mission to share the movies that he loves with the crowd so he opens this festival i was very surprised by this he opens the festival with infinitely polar bear okay even open this year it's there are movies from all periods. There are classics. There are movies that are a couple of years old. Movies that some people saw, some people didn't. So um, it's kind of similar to what Roger Ebert started doing with his Ebert Fest. It is. Uh, I would say that's very equivalent because because he, and and he has a board of directors. So Ira Deutschman comes from New York with his wife Beth. He does a lot of the moderating of the Q and As and Michael Moore. You know, there's a bunch of Sundance movies. There's a bunch of things that that I'm catching up with. Things like the one I'm going to moderate tonight, Wiener. Which I oh, saw quick. on a finally saw it, Eric. <laughs> Your favorite movie of the year, and so I went out, I went out on a boat, you know, which was fun on Lake in, in the dark on Lake Michigan, and they had you know two screens at the front of this catamaran, and then they had lots of chairs, and they had they it was hot in town, but they had by the time we got out into the middle of the lake, there were drinks available, popcorn available, and rugs to keep you warm. And but there were these women who basically had paid for this. In other words, the sponsors are giving forty. I mean, the the people who are like friends of the festival give forty dollars. The sponsors give a thousand dollars. The budget of the entire festival is like two point five million dollars, which is pretty small. The people who give a lot of money, the sponsors are thirty thousand dollars each. You know, the state of of Michigan, you know, the University of Michigan, they're a sponsor at like 30,000 and, and every single little store in Traverse City 
is a sponsor. <laughs> you gotta love that though. It's like this locally crowdsourced thing. Like some festivals need a, you know a broader set of fundraising opportunities in order to sustain themselves. But this is like the people who want this experience are paying for it to happen. And then the other thing, and it's very much modeled on Telluride in some ways. There was an opening night feed with all the local uh, you know food emporiums and people lining up. It was very much on the main street in front of the theater. Very much the same kind of thing. They use this. Like you're stepping inside Michael world, right? I mean, if you watch his movies, you know his story. I mean, this is kind of the community that he came out of. Right? Not really, because that would be Flint, Michigan, and then and then quite. he lives in New York, right? Well, so, but he owns the State Theater, and he renovated it, and it's one of the top performing art house theaters in America, and he does program it. You know, he really gets, it's an art house theater, totally art house. And then he runs another one called the Bijou. Um, and then there, are, everything is in walking distance, which he likes. So you can walk to any of the theaters in town, except one, which you can bike to. <laughs> you know, and, and he's got Mark Cousins here with a new movie. And he's got other sponsors, who, who, uh, people on the board of directors who are, who are around. So it's just, it's just a very local, very Hamish. Uh, he has a, a whole HR um, listen to me, uh, VRAR installation so that you can Even see. Even Michael Moore's film festival has VR now. Yep, he's, <laughs> there was a whole installation, and, and it's the latest one. It's the kind where people can manipulate with their hands. The the and, and be in a in a space with that. So so it's it's I'm I'm having a blast. Um, it's it's been fun. Well, since you saw Wiener, we should we should talk about that briefly because I, I've certainly spent a lot of very time rambling about how enjoyable it is, and you got to watch it under what sounds like very original conditions, and then do a Q and A with those filmmakers. Did it live up to the hype? Uh, totally, that, you know, I totally get it. I I mean, what struck me, I actually went back and looked at your at your review to see what you were, you know, how you raved about it, and basically, you know, it's it's unbelievably entertaining and the fact that they got this access they got the access because the filmmaker wanted to show that he was more than the punchline that's the bottom line of the movie but this other you know second set of sexting uh you know scandals uh emerged while he was actually successfully running for mayor and so it's very poignant, and you really do see that he, he really wants to, to be an important and, and concerned and passionate politician, but his other <laughs> passions get in his way. Well, and I, and I the mean, wife is the main character, I mean, too. Uma Abedin, yeah, she's fascinating, and there's, it's certainly Shakespearean in certain kinds of ways, but also as a New Yorker, I mean, people are actually pretty dissatisfied with Bill de Blasio and I was thinking if that guy could just have gotten his personal life in order he probably would have been a pretty great mayor I mean he's got the passion he's got he's a great orator he just got some other problems too and also there's this element of the emperor has no clothes it's just so topical now I mean we scrutinize public figures more than we ever have before and it's been a big element of this year's election cycle I mean Donald Trump exploits that to, to no end and and when you see what happens when somebody tries to create an image for themselves and it crumbles, it, it illuminates just how fragile this entire system is, especially when you think about any one of these people could come to a certain point in power where they're making decisions that can impact your life. I mean, it's, it's a serious movie that's also hilarious and entertaining and so rare to have that package. But what's, so. what, you're, what you're saying, the other aspect of it is just that it's also funny. And mm -hmm. the filmmakers do not miss a trick in terms of 
you know, editing together the ways that people react to him on, on the subway or all the different headlines that are on. He's like on the subway and there he is on the front page of the New York Post, you know. Or that there's even a shot in the movie, I, I swear to God, they put it in, of course they did, a shot of him wearing black socks. <laughs> That's, you know, he's like in shorts and he's got black socks on. I, I just, yeah. you know, he's, you can't, you can't a, pay a, for that. Yeah, I know. He just, he just kind of wraps himself in one punchline after another. He's, and he's a great performer in other ways, too, and, and very candid when he needs to be. So that, there is that going for it. We've but you that. recognize that there's an element of him. Like the, the woman is so admirable, Huma, his wife, and she is... Um, quite beautiful and elegant and poised and together and sane, you know, and and you can see that there's an aspect of him that's slightly the, the the do not give up, the do not quit part of his personality is a good thing and a bad thing. There's something wrong with him. There's something to, to slightly unhinged about him well, and, and it makes also, you see that what makes him successful is also what does him in this is undoing and, and you know it makes you wonder how many other kinds of public figures have that kind of a lot and I, mean, I think a lot of a lot I think Donald Trump probably yeah. you know is is, in, is is similar or what kind of deranged narcissism and ego fuels that kind of successful achiever you know, whether it's in sports or modeling or, or, or Hollywood. Right, and a movie like this validates that kind of speculation, that you're, you may understand the issues more than you think. But I also was wondering, we've talked about other documentary contenders sort of early on for the Oscar race. Does this strike you now that you've seen it? Oh, definitely. As this is a con definitely a contender. Not only, but because here's the thing, Oscar contenders have to sort of, it's like um, a slot machine in Vegas. You've got to have all three. You've got to have, you know, a little bit of high profile Sundance, good reviews, attention. You have to have something that plays for the audience. This was an unexpected hit in theaters, uh, even after it was on VOD. Uh, you know, right. it wasn't expected. It's so much fun. So many yeah. different kinds of people can watch it. Very accessible, yeah. but it's also serious. It's also totally, you know, he, they're not they're not giving this guy a break at all. And I mean, there's one scene where he's running through McDonald's after oh, yeah. this woman, Sydney That's Leather, is chasing right. him. The and McDonald's <laughs> option. It's right out of Veep. This movie could be Veep. No, I swear totally, to God, the way, the way they talk and everything—it's amazing. Clarice. So, so basically, the third, the third tier, the third uh, slot that it has to get is that it's well made, and it really is well made. So I think I think they'll they have a good shot. One, it's, I mean, you look at the, what we've talked about before, I mean, some things like Life Animated and Gleason are, are very touching movies, uh, very sentimental in certain ways. This one is, I mean, this it's got edge. but it's yeah. got, it's, it's, it's. And yep. it's in a political season. I mean, it, it couldn't be more timely. So we were watching the, um, oh, by the way, there's two things I want to bring up. One is the Democratic Convention, which um, we, we've been watching and Hollywood has played a role. I mean, there's Meryl Streep up there. There's uh, Lena Dunham, and most movingly, I thought, and effectively, uh, America Ferrara. You know, just, I mean, we saw the speeches that the politicians made, and of course, Obama was extraordinary, but, but the Hollywood folks were definitely playing a role. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I did a piece last week as the RNC got going, which was sort of 
what I considered the same sort of curtain raiser I might do at the start of a film festival or something. Because to me, and what most people seem to agree is a fairly weak summer for blockbusters, this is the blockbuster that everybody's watching. And I would say, before we even get into what these Hollywood characters do, do I mean, the, these campaigners are, are great actors. I mean, Trump obviously is playing for the cameras, but, but Hillary and Bernie, I mean, there's, there's something about the physicality of these people and the way that that is analyzed and the way that the crowds form around them that, that is, I, feel, I think, very cinematic. And especially during these conventions, when you have these huge crowds, you know, it's like watching uh, gladiators in an arena or something. And just with the swirling cameras and all that kind of stuff, the production values have to be top notch. So it does feel like you're watching a movie. Well, if you think about it, the uh, each of these, um, I mean, I think the Republicans have less control over their convention than the Democrats. But what you have, the Demo what the Democrats can't control, every single person who gets up there is, has a message. And this is all carefully choreographed and carefully managed and packaged and all the different video elements and exactly right. what role each this, person is supposed to behave. But the room, they right. can't control. This the burning, they bad. can't, the burn, they can't control. Well, sure. But I mean, there were things like, I struggle to even recollect this episode, but Ted Cruz's bizarre speech and he doesn't endorse Trump and then Trump shows up and they have a split screen of Trump watching from backstage. I mean, that's cinematic in this uncontrollable way. And then you're right, when even Elizabeth Warren comes out and you can hear the Bernie people chanting and that becomes a part of the whole narrative. I it's mean, really it's just... fun. Oh, and speaking of political narratives, there's a new documentary. He's not that new, but he's new to me. I just haven't paid that much attention to him. This guy, Dinesh D'Souza, oh God. Um, you know, is, is, he put out this movie, Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party, uh, which is now the top-grossing documentary of 2016, placing ninth last weekend in 1216 theaters and grossing 4.6 million to date and his last movie in 2012 was called uh 2016 now why would that be called obama's america, obama's america. It was trying to depict it as some dystopia or something the guy's a nutcase he's done jail time and, and the movies he makes are such blatant propaganda that of course they're making money among people who want to just sort of see those things i mean there was a uh, this hagiographic Sarah Palin documentary that came out during her election cycle, which did something similar. I mean, it's they, they don't even have to be well made. They just they're, they're they're the platform for a certain message that is obviously underserved at the movie theaters, and so they're they're made, I suppose, well enough that they can be released in that fashion. And and, and Dinesh D'Souza is it's this big personality who can get out there. That's where I think the Michael Moore comparison stopped. Michael Moore is a real... No, he's won Oscars, for Christ's sake. He's a real... But he's a, yeah, he's a real film guy who gets out there has, I think, a, a better way of, of making movies, too. I mean, it's not like Dinesh D'Souza is going out there like Michael Moore well, does. Well, there's no comparison in terms of the, yeah. of the production values and the intelligence and everything else, whether I'm a liberal or, or, or not. I, I recognize that Michael Moore knows how to make a movie and how to reach an audience. But on that level, it is a little disturbing that this guy's movies are connecting on such a grand scale. But they're only connecting in an election season. It's not like these movies will stand the test of time. I mean, let's say, hypothetically, Hillary Clinton gets elected, or 
we go back and we watch 2016 Obama's America. They're designed to work at a specific moment, and that's why they make money, and then they don't survive. Right. So Hillary right. earned an all-time low of 1 out of 100 on Metacritic, and it even got reviewed in the New York Post with a one-star pan. <laughs> well, All right, we don't have to give him any more attention. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, a movie is a movie, and sometimes you got to call a spade a spade, right? Right. But so yeah, I know that's painful. But there, was other, there were other movie-related things going on at the convention, everything from seeing folks like, if you're paying attention to them, A.J. Schnack, who's a, a great fil a documentary filmmaker associated with The Intercept, is out there. To the folks who are gracing the stage, like James Cameron and Lee Daniels. Well, Cameron was bringing his environmental message, and he's got a movie to go along with it. Well, yeah, it was very interesting that, that to see those people on stage in this context, and then you know to see actors like Meryl Streep in her great star-spangled dress. I mean, <laughs> he was so. We knew we were going to get. She was. She upstaged Bill Clinton, as far as I'm concerned, just in terms of energy level. Well, you know, the thing is that, that one of the things that you see is that everybody's upset, you know? I mean, one of the, I think one of the reasons Obama was so great was that he was genuinely upset, <laughs> you know? I mean, he, he believes in the message that he was promoting about how we should love America and, and see what's good about it and, and be part of an optimistic future, but, right. but he, and not, you know, go with the fear, but, but he was also passionately upset, and so was Meryl Streep. Right, and, and people like Joe Biden looking directly into the camera and saying, we cannot let this happen, that sort of you know, trickled down to the way other people spoke and on the general angle of the convention, which is like, we have to make it so clear that the opposition is immoral. And so when you take Lena Dunham out there and she says, I'm a, 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 I'm a survivor of sexual assault, and, you know, this, this person sort of epitomizes those evils, I mean, it, there's no wiggling out of that one. It's, it's a pretty intense indictment. And then America Ferreira, obviously... In, in some ways, even more extreme in, in the way that she was talking about her, you know, immigrant family and, and, and sort of that whole thing, because that's been a, a narrative associated with Trump's campaign from the start. Um, I mean, it, it's a really fascinating way to tell a story is to use these faces that that's right. some people associate with popular culture. To, to fuse them with the need to vote in this year's election. And even Sarah Silverman got up there and gave, and gave the Byrne supporters, you know, told them to get off their high horse. It was ridiculous. Right. You know? The question is how much this kind of storytelling carries over to the next few months. I mean, that, that's more of a question that's sort of outside of our, beyond our league. But, it, but what's sort of disorienting about it is that you do get pulled into these dramas, and I, and I think they can be misleading. You, you don't know, really, how much this is sinking in or how much it's just making one side angrier. I mean, if, if Trump is, is sort of emboldening his base, the fact that the DNC is such a great show may embolden them even further. So I do get a little nervous about those things, but I, but I want to believe that putting on a great show can make a difference because uh, when we watch it, we certainly enjoy it in that way. Well, tonight at the um, at Michael Moore's festival, I'm going to be able to to watch uh, Hillary's speech because he's showing it live in a big theater and everybody watch will be food. here. Yeah, exactly. Right. There you go. Although Michael Moore just wrote a piece for Huffington Post with five reasons why Trump's going to win. So 
I think he's, I don't know. There's a, there, I, I, a lot of people are giving him grief here about that. They don't want to, they don't want to believe that he's right. And he said, this is the one time I couldn't be more invested in being wrong. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, every election cycle, he catches a lot of grief and, and, and talks more than a lot of people want him to. So that's just the way it goes. So, so let's, let's do let's, the festivals. Yeah, let's get outside of the political cycle because the Toronto lineup came out and the Venice lineup came out, which means we no longer have a hypothetical when it comes to the fall film festival and ergo uh, the beginning of Oscar season. There were so many movies, and we still don't know the full lineups in these festivals, but there were so many movies there that start to give us a real indication of what to expect. And that's, that, that is not exclusively related to Oscar movies, but it, that is a big part of it, is, is these movies that are getting you know big gala premieres in Toronto on some level, that tells you that they're being positioned in a certain Absolutely. way. Absolutely. So in, in Venice, for example, um, I was a little surprised. Venice basically starts on August 31st. And then as it starts with the opening night, uh, La La Land, you get to Telluride, which is over the Labor Day weekend. And a lot of these films that are not going to be announced until Thursday before Labor Day weekend will, in fact, precede Toronto. So Toronto's opening with, it's sort of interesting, uh, Toronto's opening with The Magnificent Seven, which is closing Venice two days later. Mm. So Venice goes on for a long time. And but it's Toronto that, directly follows that as a Telluride. Message. But that is not a message that this is an awards movie. That's more, this is a platform. Well, I wonder. I mean, you don't take The Magnificent Seven to Venice normally, unless you have some awards hopes for it. You don't do both of those festivals with a big budget Western with Denzel Washington, unless you th you're thinking that you might get something out of it. That's my view. And also taking Hacksaw Ridge to uh, Mel Venice, Mel Gibson's new, for, he, this is the first movie he's directed since Apocalypto 10 years ago. It's since being arrested in a drunken Oh, all sorts of horrible things that he said and did you know, in multiple occasions are haunting him and will, will always haunt him and always prevent Academy voters from giving him a Best Director or a Best Picture nomination. He won both of those Again, for Braveheart right. 20 years ago. But those are the only times he got nominated. And he is talented director. So what could happen with something like this, it's a very academy-friendly story of a World War II uh, conscientious objector who's a medic played by Andrew Garfield, who um, in the Battle of Okinawa saves incredible numbers of people without ever using a gun. And then he wins the Medal of Honor. The only so one. Maybe, there's, maybe there's a political dimension to that people could latch on to related to gun control. Correct. Or, yeah. I mean, the topic but it's supposedly a very violent movie at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> very gory, you know. I mean, you know, I, Mel. He can't help I, himself. I, I'm not gonna lie. I love Apocalypto. He's I gonna rub our nose in it. Judge. I mean, he he made he's made good movies. He has. He's a very gifted actor character. and filmmaker. But that doesn't mean that people like him or approve of him, and that doesn't mean that they will uh, reward him. But Andrew Garfield or some of the other people in the film who worked on the film, they could be rewarded. Well, I'll, I'll watch a Mel Gibson movie over a Dinesh D'Souza movie and put it that Any way. day, any day, <laughs> even if he does have right-wing politics as well. So, so what else are we looking at here? We have Denis Villeneuve's film, Arrival. The Arrival is in all these different festivals, um, and, and yeah. Amy Adams. 
Adams is in two different uh, movies. Uh, There's uh, Tom Ford's Nocturnal right. Animals with Jake Gyllenhaal. That's his first movie he's directed since The Single Man, which went over really well at both Toronto and Venice. So that, that'll be an interesting one to keep eyes on. That's playing in Venice as well, yep. And then you've got any number of things. I mean, because Villeneuve did do very well with Sicario. Uh, well, it only ended up with three tech nominations. You know, he's he's poised, is, is what I'm saying. To, to This might be closer to what, you know, the Sicario is a genre film. It, it wasn't quite Academy friendly. But there's Peter Berg's Deepwater Horizon. There's J.A. Bayona, who I agree with you. You wrote about this. He's a very good uh, Spanish director and, well, and a monster call. Movie. He's yeah. going to do the next Jurassic World film. So this no, is he's sort of gifted. Like a step up the, to doing a more mainstream movie. And whether and I, it's a, a fall awards contender, I don't know. I mean, that's a. Little it might. Hard. It depends. It could be Felicity Jones, Sigourney Weaver, and then you know, and it's a it's a family drama. And then you have Garth Davis's Lion, which again I agree with you. That's that's a front and center Weinstein Co. number one contender for Oscar. That's the one they're putting their money on. Wild Dev Patel, yeah. this guy finding his, the parents that he lost as a as a kid, and so a tearjerker of sorts. Not then, the kind of thing I'm necessarily excited about, but I'll see it. Well, I mean, it's probably a little mainstream, but um, that that doesn't you know. So is the King's Speech. So right. uh, Mira Nair's Queen of Katwe, starring Lupita Nyong'o and David Oyelowo, is coming out as well from Disney, and and that that looks like it might have some of the right elements and be part of a more diverse uh, set of contenders this year. And then Oliver Stone's Snowden, starring so Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? because he did this sneak screening right. at Comic Con. Uh, which seem to have gone over well, but I cannot discern from these reactions, which seem heavily controlled. There are no reviews. Well, they stuff. showed it without letting anyone, you know, review it. So right. that's the that's the issue there. You know, then there's Neruda, there's Birth of a Nation, there's Manchester by the Sea, all the stuff that's already been established at, at other festivals. L and and things like that. Going to we, we're talking about Toronto now. American Honey, of yeah. course. And loving, which I still Love. think is probably no. one of the front runners. Uh, and out some there. of the open questions about which of these movies are going to get showcased at Telluride, which we'll be attending, and, and you know, you get to see how certain things get a little boost from being there. Some absolutely. Get, get well, the buzz boost. builds, and then it builds up, and is taken wider and more far-reaching uh, media landscape in Toronto. They're very symbiotic; these two festivals. Absolutely. In spite of what we've talked about, you know, a season ago. Go, they really do they, they work together even when they don't want to so. exactly all right well i'm i'm gonna run out and do my do my little interview with michael moore and my q a and i will see you back are you coming to la no you're not i'll, I'll be in la later in august the next time we speak i'll actually be in switzerland for the Locarno Film Festival, where, as you know from attending last year, I run the Critics Academy. So I'll be able to update you on that and all kinds of other international stuff that I'm doing there to distract us from the imminent shadow of award season, even as probably we'll have more Toronto stuff to dig through and all kinds of other things. So plenty more to discuss. But in the meantime, say hi to Michael from all of us and, and tell him to stop uh, giving Hillary such a hard time. Bye, Eric. Yeah. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. 
Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.